Good morning. How you doing? I would, uh, it would be easy to just tell you about and give you highlights of things and uh, I imagine over the weeks and months some of that will unfold, but as a pastor, I don't know if you can appreciate what it is to be able to baptize people in the Jordan River in approximately the location where Joshua and the Israelites crossed into the Promised Land. To baptize people approximately in the place where John the Baptist baptized people. Uh, To lead a communion service uh, in the garden tomb. To walk into, don't know for sure, but certainly what could have been Christ's tomb. Uh, to go into a field where they know was the field where David slew Goliath and walk through a stream and pick up rocks and resist throwing them. And so much more. Uh, it was an amazing experience and opportunity and uh, just want to Thank you for those of you who uh, were praying for us for safety and, uh, and the like. With that said, let's pray one more time. And you can pray that you're able to follow along <laughs> with whatever comes out. There is no PowerPoint because it just wasn't possible. Let's pray. Father, as we move into this next section of your word in uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, it gets real practical and real specific, and it's not things that are easy to acknowledge, not easy to own, to lean into. But Lord, this is where you've called us to transformation. And I would pray for us as a church that uh, no one would operate in guilt or condemnation or lies of the enemy, but rather, Father, that your spirit would have freedom here to bring conviction and challenge And also as we bow our knee to you, the strength and purpose to follow hard after you. Simply pray, Father, that you would have your way among us. In Jesus' name, amen. In our last study in Ephesians began a section of scripture that starts in chapter 4, verse 17, where we heard Paul say, uh, as believers, we need to walk a different walk. We need to walk different than the world walks. We're supposed to walk a worthy walk. And when we ask the question, well, how do you walk a worthy walk, Paul's answer is basically, 
walk differently than the world does. Ephesians 4, verse 22 through 24, Paul writes this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There are things here, there are specific things as believers that we need to take off. And there are things that we need to put on in their place. And in this section that we're beginning this morning, which extends from verse 25 through 32, Paul begins in some very specific ways to tell us those things that we need to take off and things that we need to put on in their place. This morning, we're just going to focus on verse 25 which reads this way, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. James 2.19 says this, You believe that there is one God, good, or good for you. He goes on to say, Even the demons of hell believe that. In other words, you say you believe in God, big deal. See, the problem that James points out and the same thing that Paul is going to be pointing out in Ephesians 4 and following is this. Christianity involves more than a system of belief. Let me say it again. Christianity involves more than a system of belief. Biblical Christianity involves more than the things I believe. It involves more than me nodding my head in approval and in agreement of certain points of doctrine. It is, by definition, the commitment of a whole life, my whole life, to the Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do that again, but it was fun. When we make that commitment that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior, when I transfer my trust from whatever else it is that I've depended on before, when I transfer that to depending only on Christ and Christ alone, an astounding miracle transpires. It's this. I am made a new creature in Christ. I become a partaker of his divine nature. I've got a new life. I have a new nature. I have a new direction. I have a new hope, a new inheritance, a new standing before God. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. You're going to have to help the brother out, all right? In other words, those who are 
have really been regenerated are easily identified because they walk a different walk. Jesus said the exact same thing in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that people who really belong to the kingdom of God are different than the rest of the world. They think differently. They act differently. They talk differently. They worship differently. They have different desires. They have different motives. They have different intentions. They're different. They walk a different walk. If there is new life, there will be signs of that life. That's why Paul says in our text, Believer, you need to strip off the old. Why? Because when you have the old surrounding you, it makes you look like you're dead. It makes you look like you're not alive. So if you have the new nature of Christ, let those things that the old nature is covering up be torn away. Because if you don't, you're going to look like you're dead. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Peter said it. James said, unless there is a distinction in your living, unless there is a distinction in your living, there is a possibility that there is no distinction in your nature. What is there to lead me, to lead someone else to believe that there is a distinction in your nature if there's no distinction in how you live your life? Your life an attitude, actions, words, must reflect who I am on the inside. If you haven't been with us since we started out Ephesians, spent three chapters, we're going to repeat this, but all these things that are true of me, of who I am before God. But I need to live it out. Amen? Titus 1.16 says things like this. They profess to know God, but there's a problem. You know what the problem is? Their actions deny Him. They profess to know God, they have all the right answers, the right things to say, but their living is contrary to what they profess. Listen, this is where the message of grace gets soiled. And I mean that in the most graphic way. To believe and act like, ah, because of grace, because of Ephesians 1 through 3, because of who I am in Christ, I can live any way I want to. Paul says in Romans 6, may it never be. My life needs to be a reflection 
of who I am. Philip's translations of Titus 1.6 puts it this way, their deeds deny their profession. Would you turn to, because I know it's not going to come up on a PowerPoint, would you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 with me, please? I'll give you a moment to get there. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 3 and read through the first part of verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. See, we play a role in this. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Those are all the kind of things that we need to put on. Verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. Listen. What identifies you as a believer is not some past event. Yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was. What identifies you as a believer is a present virtue, is the fruit of God evident in your life. New creatures act like new creatures. That's what Paul is saying in this section of Ephesians chapters 4 through 6. This is so big. Paul says in chapters 1 through 3, believer, this is who you are. These are, these are all the riches that you have. This is your high and holy calling. You are holy. You're blameless before God. It's all grace. It's all faith. Not of yourselves. You didn't earn this. You didn't try to be better than someone else because if you could do that, you could boast. But he says, no, there's nothing that we could do to deserve it. It's just given to you, to every believer. That's who you are. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he says, because that's who you are, and you need to catch that wording. Because that's who you are, it's very important Because that's who you are, chapters 1 through 3, this is then how you need to live it out, chapters 4 through 6. You cannot separate 
the two. Listen, it would have been irresponsible for me to come almost a year ago and start preaching in Ephesians chapter 4. Because it assumes too much. There's no way that anyone in the flesh, in their own strength, has the power to live out Ephesians 4 through 6. And there's no way I can talk about living a godly life unless you already know who you are as a new creature. That unless you are part of the kingdom, unless you are one of his children, there's no way I can talk about Ephesians 4 through 6 without first preaching on Ephesians 1 through 3. Conversely, there's no way in the world that we can embrace Chapters 1 through 3. There's no way in the world that I can claim these things of me being one who is recipient of all these riches without also seeing in chapters 4 through 6 that I have to live them out. So in our text, take a look here and begin to see the changes that need to take place in my life for someone who has this new nature. See, when his spark of divine power gives us life and we become that person, we become this new nature, the day I received Christ as my Savior, it marked me. Literally, chapter 1, verse 13, marked with the Holy Spirit. A deposit guarantee. But what it marks is the beginning of a life of changing. It marked you and me with a life of changing. Transformation from the inside out. A person who bows their life to Christ, this person with this new nature, this Christian, in terms of their lifestyle, in terms of how they live their daily life, in whatever context you find your daily life, we don't pray a prayer and automatically ding, I've arrived. All things are now true. I am patient. I love everyone. We who have been given this new nature, one of the evidences that you have The Spirit of Christ in you is that you will be continually changing. Continually changing. This is true, true. Or verily, verily. If I remain, if you remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, you will continually, your whole life, spend stripping off the old, stripping off the old, and putting on the new, and putting on the new in cooperation with the Spirit of God. 
everyone in this room at a different place in your spiritual journey. Every one of us, different, far, different levels of maturity, if you will. One thing is true of all of us. The verifier of my faith and your faith, a verifier of this new nature, is that there will be change in our lives. And I'm, be ch- and I'm changing becoming more and more transformed into the image of the Son of God. If you're taking notes, write down 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul talks about being transformed from glory to glory. It is a continuous, lifelong process. Question. If you're going to enter into this message at all, you need to ask this question. You need to invite the Holy Spirit to help you ask this question. What things need to, do I need to, does God desire to take off? And what are the Christ-like virtues that I need to put on that verifies that his life is real in me. It's going to be different for you and different for you and different for you because you're in a different place. But right now, wherever it is in your journey, where's the Holy Spirit working in your life? Different than my life. What is the next thing he wants to work on and say, Tim, you need to die to this. You need to let this go. You need to peel that off. You need to put this on in its place. Does that make sense? It looks like there's people out there. (laughs) Beginning in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, Paul gets very practical and very specific. And we're just going to look at the first one this morning. The first sign of life for one who is truly born of God is this, that he or, or she exchange lying for telling the truth. I'm going to put off lying, and I'm going to put on speaking the truth. Verse 25 again, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Falsehood in the broadest sense means whenever something is not what it seems to be. It looks one way. But it really isn't that way. John 8, 44, Jesus says, Satan is a liar. Not only is he a liar, he is the father of all lies. He is the manipulator of all lies. He's the contriver and conniver of all lives. He is the one who takes them and he weaves them like a web for deceit. That's why Paul says, strip it off. Why? Because if I have that as part of my life, I look like I'm dead. One of the first signs of life is that we tell the truth. We speak the truth. 
We face a problem, however, the problem of our entire world system is built on lies. And Satan is the father of it. Any falsehood is an indicator of death, not life. Why would I want to carry that as part of my life? Everyone lies. Lawyers lie. Yeah, we always, you know, take shots at lawyers. But hey, doctors lie. It's true. You know, some maybe just because they're, you know, don't want to mask the truth a little bit because they don't want to hurt. I I don't know. Teachers lie. Yes, your student's doing fine. (laughs) No, they wouldn't say that. Preachers lie. Salesmen lie. Entertainers lie. Secretaries lie. Bosses lie. Advertisers lie. Politicians lie. Husbands lie. Wives lie. Kids lie. We all lie. And all of it is a masterpiece of Satan. His function, his very nature is to lie and to get us to believe that his lies are the truth. The thing that is disturbing to me, I hope it's disturbing to you, is that the lies he tells, even some of us believers in certain areas of our lives, we have not seen this deception. And we have not seen that. And and so instead we have bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker. He lies about life. He lies about death. He lies about himself. He's not that bad. He lies about God. He's not that good. He lies about Christ. He lies about the Holy Spirit. He lies about the Bible. It isn't really true. It's not all true. He lies about heaven. It's not that great. He lies about hell. Not that bad. Sadly, some of his lives we bought into. And then God comes into our life, and I want you to see the contrast. God comes into our life, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my life, and the Bible says that His Spirit is a spirit of truth. And He leads me into all truth. John 16, 13. When I become a believer... I step out of darkness and I come into light, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. When I become a believer, I step out of a system of lies and into the truth. When I become a believer, the call of God on my life is this, speak the truth in love. However, even as a believer, I have a choice. I can either strip it off, falsehood, Or I can continue to walk around looking like I'm dead. I hope you see the contrast. Believer, one of the first signs of life, one of the first signs that you are born of God is that we go from lying to speaking the truth in love. We all lie in many ways. 
that's the truth. For example, a fabrication, a concoction, a piece of fiction, falsification, a lie, untruth, falsehood, a fib, myth, made-up story, fairy tale, white lie, half-truth, exaggeration, tall tale, whopper. <laughs> that story is a complete fabrication. And again, in a broad sense, when I present something as one way when it really isn't, falsehood. One kind of lie that we can be involved in is shading the truth. Shading the truth. You know, that's simply called deception. I deceive how? I just kind of color it a little bit so that the truth doesn't fully come out. You know what shading means in that context? To make something look like it isn't. Another one we get involved in is exaggeration. Pastors are notorious from this. It's not lying. It's pastoral counting. We count the feet instead of the heads. Seems innocent, but it's a lie. Satan is the father of that. It's exaggeration. Why do we need to do it? Paul says, strip it off. It's ugly. It looks like death. Paul indicates that the first sign of life is that we tell the truth. The characteristic of a believer is that they tell the truth. So if you are characterized by lying, where then is the distinction in your life between life and death? Cheating is another lie. Cheat in school, cheat at a game, Cheat in business, cheat in, on my taxes, betraying a confidence. I won't tell anybody, and then we do. That's another one. Maybe the subtlest, maybe the most prevalent in our churches, maybe the most destructive is the one we get involved in is simply this. We sit in silence when truth needs to be spoken. That is a lie. We are called as believers not only not to lie, we are called to what? To speak the truth in love. Here's the thing. If I withhold the truth, it's a lie. Oh, they're okay. I don't really need to address that. We are to speak the truth. How? In love. Speak the truth. And again, but withholding that truth, I'm living a lie. You know what? The truth can be hard to deal with. Part of what makes it so difficult is because lying is so expedient. Lying is so easy. Even withholding is easier than speaking the truth. I just don't like confrontation. And everybody said, yeah, that's me. (laughs) However, Telling or speaking the truth makes, listen, it makes me deal with what is true. 
like the truth about my sin. Something that I'm continuing practicing. And when I say the truth, that's where I get set free. Makes me deal with it. If I lie about my sin, oh, it's not that bad. I hide it from other people. If I don't deal with it, I just go on living the lie. And if I'm living a lie, it looks like I'm dead. We don't like telling the truth, so we lie. We shade it, exaggerate it, withhold it, but it's all lies, and I'm telling you, Satan is the father of it. Why do we have any part of it? Application. Let's start with a question. Why is this issue such a big deal? What's the big deal if I shade the truth for my roommate because I don't want to offend them and, you know, they, they might get mad and, and so I'll just not quite go there and keep everything smooth and isn't peacemaking a good thing? That wasn't loser, that's for lying, but... Well, one of the reasons that this is so important is found at the end of verse 25. Take a look at it. We are all members of one body. You realize what it's saying there? It's saying that if the body is going to be healthy, we need to be honest with one another. There's no option. If the body of Christ, if the local church is going to be healthy, we need to be honest with one another. We need to be honest with ourselves. Part of that means is if there's sin, we need to call it sin. Not for the point of beating somebody up, pushing them away. It's about reconciliation and restoration. Amen? I know you all know this, but this is what we all do. No, okay, it's just me. We see somebody, we know somebody's, something's going on, we see the destructive part of it in their life or in the life of the people around them, but we don't want to address it. We have a relationship with them, but we don't want to address it because, well, they might get mad at me. I might lose my friendship. So because of that, we allow them to continue to be destructive in their own life and in the lives of people around them. That is not love. First sign of life in a believer is that we're going to speak the truth, we're going to walk the truth, Likewise, the first sign of life and health in a church is we're going to speak the truth about ourselves. How? Lovingly. The Apostle Paul, like here in verse 25, uses the concept of the body to help us understand our interconnectedness, our interdependence. So let's go from there for a minute to try and grab hold of what it says. The the physical body is an amazing thing. Originally, I said, my physical body is an amazing thing, but not true. (laughs) But an example of this, think about this. 
The body sends us all sorts of signals to protect me. It speaks the truth to me, you might say. In fact, I am absolutely dependent upon my body speaking the truth to me because if it doesn't, (laughs) I'm in trouble. Consider this. What if my eyes, oh, they don't outright lie to me. They just withhold something from me. Okay? My physical eyes, they just hold back a little truth. That semi-truck coming towards me at 80 miles an hour. Not really there. Whammo! I'm done. Or I'm driving down the road and my eyes just shade the truth a little. That curve, not really as tight as it says. You can continue, in fact, increase your speed. There's a built-in system that uses pain to warn me, hey, you got you to gotta do something about that. But all too often in the body of Christ, the warning signs are out there and we sit in silence as we see somebody implode. A few weeks ago, I preached on Ephesians 4.11 and the fact that Christ gives gifts to the church, gifts of people who function as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You know what their job is? To equip the saints. Part of how they do that is they are truth tellers. So in this context, Sunday school class, facilitating a small group, Discipling somebody, mentoring, coaching, whatever you want to call it, counseling somebody. We need to speak the truth. If you don't tell the truth, you know what happens? If the message isn't clear, you know what happens? If the warnings aren't given, you know what happens? Members of the body go on their merry way into all sorts of destructive behavior, and they don't even know they're doing it until it's too late. Because nobody told them the truth. It's not necessarily because people's hearts are hard. Nobody told them. This is a pattern that I saw modeled in my family. I just replicated. I don't even know it's wrong. Hey, it's wrong. You can't treat them like that. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others around you. In our physical bodies, God has built in this pain system. It's honest enough to tell us that you have a problem. Symptoms reveal something's wrong and we can address it. We correct it. Whatever's causing the problem, what's at the core of it? How do we treat it? How do we get better? Likewise, in the body of Christ, there, when we see symptoms of problems and it's clear, in fact, Paul gives us a long list of things that exist in our lives, it's clear. And depending on where you are in your journey, you've either dealt with some of these things or he's going to ask you to take it to another level as he's conforming you into the image of his son to become more and more Christ-like. 
verses 25 through 31, he's going to talk about lying, stealing, bitterness, rage, anger, slander. All of those are symptoms of a spiritual problem. They're all symptoms of death. Which means, if I see it in my life, or in someone else's lives who I care about, and it it's what characterizes part of my life, and we say nothing, where is the light of God in us? Come to church, put on a smile, play the game, we sing a song, we praise God. But for some of us, it's a lie. Listen, as long as you maintain the lie, you stuff it, ignore it, deny it, medicate it, as long as you play that game, you will not find healing through the power of God. The first sign of life in a believer is they put off falsehood. We take off the mask. You know what else? The one who is is moving you to hide what you're dealing with right now, the one who right now would tell you just to stuff it, deny it, don't deal with it, it's not God. That is the father of lies. It's not enough to be a professor. I need to be a possessor of my faith. How do we know how to, how to end this? But if there would be anyone here today and what you've been recognizing. It's something that God has been dealing with you. You wouldn't even be here if the Spirit of God wasn't working in your life. Because no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God's drawing them, right? But it's possible that you've been in church most of your life, but you've never made a real commitment to follow Him as your Lord and Savior. And you're living a lie. It's also possible that because you've spent your whole life in Sioux County, that to take off the mask, my religious mask, my outward appearance, you are dying because you have to live a lie, that you have it all together. But the truth is, there's areas in your life that need to be stripped off. And until you speak the truth and confess it out loud, ask somebody to come alongside of you, bring it before you and the Father, you will not find freedom and healing because he wants you to strip it off and put something else on in its place. And you can't do that in your own strength. Have you figured out yet something about me? It's one of my weaknesses is I like to be liked. If you like to be liked, it's hard to confront. Now, you hear me on a Sunday like this, and you might think, doesn't seem like he struggles with confronting. 
But I shared this with a Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago. It's easy. It's fun. It's exciting to preach Ephesians 1 through 3. And to, to help people see, that's who I am. That's who I am. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to strive. That's who I am. That's who I am. You get to Ephesians 4 through 6. And you hear week after week, there's things I need to strip off, things I need to strip off. You hear that long enough, unless you are leaning into your faith and all you want to hear is the fluff stuff, you hear a a, a steady diet of that and you will check out. You might even leave this church. It is a real fear of mine. Because for me, I'm more the prophet in this context, the truth teller. And when you hear those things and you hear those things, if you don't want to deal with it, the conclusion is, ah, I need to find somewhere else. And that breaks my heart. Not because I feel rejected, but because it means that you're not going to go where God wants you to go. And that breaks my heart. So I'm going to pray, and I want to ask you, I want to invite you as a church body that we would lean in to Ephesians 4 through 6 and regularly ask God, what is it, Holy Spirit, what is it in my life that you want to strip off, that I need to put off, and that you want to put something else, you want to conform me more and more into the image of your Son because you love me. Would you be praying that with me? Let's pray.